Usually when you start meditating, you're going to fall asleep anyways. So what I used to do is just meditate and then lay down and fall asleep and then have a lucid dream, have an out-of-body experience. I know how to search your mind and find your secrets. I know the tricks and I can teach them to you so that even when you're asleep, your defense is never down. Astral body starts to vibrate and lift up after like you can literally feel it come up off your physical body. I was in space with this blonde hair, blue eye, white skin, some kind of uniform he was wearing. This being, a human-like being, nothing strange about this being at all. In fact, I truly felt like it was my family. I felt completely comfortable with this man. Instead of putting your trust in the pharmaceutical medicine, you should be putting your trust in the one who can really save you. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gauntz. Hey everyone, welcome again to Canary Cry Radio. Thanks for tuning in this week. My name is Basil. And I'm Gons. We are talking about more rat brains today. More rat stuff. More rat stuff. (laughs) So we're going to talk about this article that came out. It's basically these neuroscientists claim to have figured out a way to influence... Uh, or control the dreams of rats. And so this article sort of speculates, are humans next? Right. I mean, okay, just to start from the very beginning, I had no idea that rats even had dreams, that that was a thing. And I'm wondering how they know that. Right. But, I mean, I I assume dogs have dreams. Dogs do weird stuff when they sleep. So I guess we can transfer over um, to rats there. I don't know if they like watch the rats move their legs like they're running or something. (laughs) I think think what what they do is they measure the brain waves Ah. of certain parts of the brain. And they, you know, they're obviously measuring it while they're awake and doing their thing. Right. And then, you know, when they're sleeping, they, they have the same nodes and whatnot on the brain. And then they figure that if, you know, if the rat is uh, the same part of the brain is being stimulated, then, then the rat is dreaming and right. All sorts same, of sciencey, sciencey type stuff. Right. Like the same sensation is walking or this part of the brain fires up Well, he's right. sleeping, but the same part is firing up for, so therefore he must be dreaming that he's walking. So, right, right. Well, yeah, that's actually interesting because, um, I think this was something that I mentioned before a couple episodes ago was where they've they've concluded that when you're when when you're like watching TV or when you're watching somebody else do something, like your brain will will fire in the same way. Like it, it starts reacting as if if you're watching people running on the Olympics, your your brain will start reacting as if you are the one running or we talked about video games where, you know, your body will have massively intense physical reactions just because your brain is under so much stress. So I get that connection, but yeah, this is actually really fascinating. And I know messing with dreams and stuff isn't anything new. Um, especially by the way of, you know, lucid dreaming and things like that, but that's all for another episode i think or who knows maybe we'll just get into it later yeah we'll see we'll see if they go down that rabbit trail but basically let me quote just this paragraph here that sort of sums it all up um a couple paragraphs 
Uh, researchers working at MIT have successfully manipulated the content of a rat's dream by replaying an audio cue that was associated with the previous day's events, namely running through a maze. What else? Uh, the breakthrough furthers our understanding of how memory gets consolidated during sleep, but it also holds potential for the prospect of dream engineering. Right. Uh, and I, I find that interesting that <laughs> I would say that they're not even 100% certain that they're, they b- controlled the dreams of the rat. They just basically got the same brainwave reaction to... Right, just kind of like a recall. Yeah, yeah really. it's not really necessarily... <laughs> I don't think there's any way to really prove 100% without a shadow of a doubt that the rat was dreaming and right. you know, we the scientists were able to affect his dream by reintroducing the sound. Right, I sort of see this in the same context of like, I don't know, whispering weird stuff in your roommate's ear while he's sleeping or something you know that's you can manipulate what people are dreaming about i I assume in that way i haven't seen any scientific studies on that right well uh, you just reminded me in japan at least when i was a kid and maybe they had this in america too and I, i didn't grow up in japan but i just remember seeing people or hearing people talking about these like night tapes or something. And right. and actually I think I had a, even a couple friends that whose parents like made them listen to these positive thinking tapes or something right, while they sleep. Right. Exactly. They have these soothing sounds and they have these, you know, you are wonderful and like all yeah. this stuff. And uh, you know, it's probably the same sort of thing and who I'm knows sure. if it works. I'm sure it does to some level. Well, there's sleep learning and stuff like that too. Again, I don't know the the data on that, but I remember being younger and trying, you know, putting on like a a uh, Spanish speaking CD like while I sleep and like expecting to wake up knowing Spanish. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> you know, no, I don't think so. <laughs> ¿Cómo está? No, I have no idea. I suck at Spanish. Yeah. Um, but anyways moving on I mean, and and they go to talk about more about memory processing and stuff like yeah. that they they kind of have a heavy a heavy emphasis on sort of what this means for memory processing and things like that and so yeah which is basically what they're doing they're they're signaling something from you know a memory that the rat would have from the day before right um, which I mean, the the rats are running through mazes their entire life. I would assume that that's what they dream about, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, thinking that too. Yeah, um, but all right. Yeah, so let me. This is the uh, final paragraph of the little, the short little article here. Sure. Uh, it says, looking ahead, the researchers believe that this simple example of dream engineering could open up the possibility of more extensive control of memory processing during sleep. And even the notion that selected memories could be either enhanced, blocked, or modified. Wilson is aiming to develop new approaches to learning and behavioral therapy through similar kinds of cognitive manipulation. Wilson, Wilson. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I think this is actually the rather interesting part because I mean, when you get into dream manipulation or anything like that, I mean, there's countless movies that sort of deal with that subject uh, and they're talking about blocking and modifying memories and stuff all happening during sleep and i mean there's movies like inception eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um you know that all sort of deal with that and of course we've we've always seen those those problems um in those movies but i mean what does this mean what does this mean for us well there's i mean there's so many different things to look at one i'm a believer that 
spiritually speaking, God does kind of communicate with us through dreams. Right. Not always, but I, I certainly think that he uses that medium when he has to, you know, or when he can, or, I mean, he, he can always do it, but he, he does so in a way that it's sort of tailored to the individual. Right. Uh, it's not, I, I don't think God does things where it's like, you need to send this message to humanity. And, you know, cause usually right. that ends up causing, it just seems to be more. It never really works out for whoever. Yeah. And it's someone. always, it, it just echoes a lot about a lot of things that you hear in the new age and channeling and stuff like that. And, right. and so, you know, our dreams sort of are, our subconscious sort of playing out and, and, you know, it's strange because, you know, I think back to my personal experiences of dreams and I've had plenty of dreams where it's sort of a, you know, mundane day-to-day type of thing that I was doing. And it's sort of like, I'm in that setting. But for most of my life, I would say that my dreams were totally off, the, off the wall. Bizarre. Yeah. I'm always right. like flying. And, you know, for most of my life I was getting chased by something, right. but I would be able to jump super high and like, jump on top of buildings and, you know, fly through stuff. And I mean, it was just, it was pretty cool. But, um, but in essence, you know, being able to control someone's memory processing during sleep, that to me is sort of strange and dangerous because, you know, our memories are kind of what make us who we are in, in a sense. I mean, right. not not entirely, but they sort well, they, of... They influence it in the same way that experience would, I would think. Right. And it sort of shapes our lives and it sort of gives us the wisdom and the lessons and knowledge and things like that that we won't have without the memory of our past experience. So to block it, to modify it or enhance it or whatever, I mean, that's like, that's really playing or messing with some some core things of being a human because, you know... Right, well, I think it's the same sort of uh, problem or issue as the whole lucid dreaming sort of uh, debate. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's people who say lucid dreaming opens you up to all sorts of bad things, and then there's people who think, well, it's not really, it's just you. Right. And then, I, and you know what I mean? And well, how, how could it, you know, how harmful could it be to, you know, if you want to fly, to just fly in your dream or whatever? You, but then you, you get into the whole thing where like, well, while you're sleeping, you know, the veil is thinner and all this, right. you know, you're opened up to all sorts of things, which we've talked about before, which totally, I believe, um, has its own reality in what we're talking about. Right. And I, and I think that's an interesting to talk about, the whole lucid dreaming thing, because, I mean, I've lucid dreamt. I mean, most people have lucid dreamt. Yeah. They say that everybody has, and whether they remember it or not. And the New Age sort of crowd connects lucid dreaming with astral projection and things like this. And, well, you know, obviously we're taught that astral projection isn't necessarily a benign thing to do. I mean, but if it's happening automatically, you know, if it's just happening then what what are we supposed to take away from that i don't know <laughs> i think i think that depends on the individual and what they experience from it but i right. mean going going back a little bit to sort of the article here it's sure to influence one's dreams and you know right. effectively their memory their you know blocking modifying all this stuff how, well, it's just another it, case of playing God. I mean, it's another. Yeah, that's that's. It's a, on yeah. the continuum of playing God, and it's just another situation where we need to decide, you know, where on the continuum we're allowed to reside. 
Right. And, and okay. So, so I'm trying to tie two things together here and I have two thoughts in my head and I'm trying to get it out at once. And that's why I'm struggling here, but uh, okay. So I've heard, obviously I've listened to a lot of new age teaching and uh, one of the common teachings about dreams is that every person you encounter in your dreams is a reflection of yourself. Right. And, and you know, so if you meet someone mean in your dream, then that is a reflection of yourself and you must defeat that mean person to, you right. know, get to know your higher self and blah, blah, blah. So, uh-huh. um, and that concept and then trying to go from this end of like, okay, we can control your dreams. You're, you're really struggling with that inner self of, you know, your angry person, your angry you. Well, let's, right. let's, let's go in there. And let's, you know, let's defeat this angry you. you know? Right. So, well, and that's, that's a, there's a lot of like hypnotist new age combinations that try to go in and do that right, too. Right, exactly. It's a part of self-development. Well, that's what's interesting about this is that it's a, it's sort of like, in, and I think this, this is a great example of how science and spirituality are, are starting to sort of merge you know, they're starting the, yeah. the line between the two are starting to blur. I think quantum physics started sort of the the, the merge. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and to be quite honest, I think prior to like the 1800s, it really wasn't that separate. Like they, you know, again, we've right. mentioned this before, but the, the concept of like God created the universe and we're just trying to understand the creation. So right. there was sort well, of a spiritual understanding. And then now for the last well, century, it's, yeah, it's been totally separated and i think they're sort of which i think is good i think it's good that they're coming back together i think that was the original intention in in my in my own belief but because i i believe that science and spirituality are at the very core definitely connected but now it's this is approaching that in a different way and sort of a twisted sort of way right exactly it's sort of it's sort of coming back together for um the purposes of you know the greatest evil you can ever imagine type thing. Right, so, right, right, right. So, I mean, yes, there is, um, I think, a genuine form of of understanding spirituality through science. Uh, and, and that's the way God made it, you know. Um, right. But uh, the way that the materialistic science is approaching it and, you know, they're starting to discover things, I think, that are just – it's funny because I would be curious to find out if Wilson, this person Wilson here, uh, who did this experiment – you know, believes in a sort of a spiritual reality or not, you know, because obviously he's manipulating the physical material sort of realm, but a dream is in any, any kind of thought or emotion or anything like that. Those aren't just chemicals in the brain, you know, that it's it's a little bit more than that. So, right. Well, and I don't want to get too mixed up in talking about that, but it will in what I'm about to bring up, which is we always talk about, the direct correlation between the physical and the spiritual and how much they, they might be the same thing. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I think it's a possibility that the whole brain chemistry thing is built right into the spiritual realities that govern everything. That being said, it doesn't really have a lot of weight in what we're trying to figure out in. Well, I actually, I think it does have a lot of weight. Well, um, yeah. Be, you know, because I mean, if again, I, I refer to this a lot, but you know, the sort of, Jewish belief where your your soul and your body are not quite they're not separated they you, they are the same thing you know which is kind of really shunned upon by a lot of other you know religious institutions being you know like oh but there's your body and your spirit and your soul and they're all different well 
and and we talk about this when we talk about DNA and Doug Hamp and all those guys is well maybe not though right yeah the the concept there that you're referring to is the fact that um, when a body a physical body and a spirit come together it creates the human soul and it's actually that idea is is derived from a you know Bible verse that talks about you know the, the sure body of sure dust but and, we and, yeah sure but you know what I mean yes which sure. is which is the 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 spiritual consequences of physical actions or realities or things like that, which I mean, which I think would put a lot of weight, even more spiritual weight than we could have before, knowing that now when you start messing with the chemicals of the brain, it's more than just affecting your physical body for your physical uh, experience right. on earth. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, so that's I, a really good point. Um, and I think that's what gives the, the whole weight to the whole thing of, you know, and we'll get into this later with drugs and yeah. Um, uh, brain chemistry, messing with it in, in any number of ways. Right. So I think they're trying to, I th- they're, they're trying a little too hard, I would say, <laughs> to um, jump the gun and talk about how it could be used on humans and memory and all this stuff. Right. You know, because if, even if they can, I mean, how would you sell this to the public? You know, like what? what well, what kind I'll of- tell you exactly how, and I'm glad you just asked that because this is coming out of a very timely. It's very timely that we're talking about this actually because the there's a new movie Total Recall. Oh, well, it's right. not new. It's a it's a remake. It's, it's a remake, not new. Yeah. Where it's basically the ex- which is basically that. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah. I mean, I I think it's being sold right now. It's being sold to us in in the media like everything else. Right. Um, already, and it has. It's an older movie that's being remade, so this is nothing new. Yeah. By the way, uh, I, I saw Total Recall on an airplane when I was like nine years old, and I totally just tripped out. I was totally <laughs> freaked out, especially yeah. the scene at the end where Arnold's face gets all big and explodes and stuff. It was just like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a trippy movie, and the new one just, uh, you know, promises to be just as trippy. Awesome. I, I mean, I think it's all around us all the time. Anything that has to do with sort of mastering our experience is is just innately attractive right. and it's easy to feed off of that and it's easy to fall into that and it's, it's sort of like connected to the same lucid dreaming thing you know it's not necessarily the act of doing it that would be considered wrong you know by some sort of religious standard which is debatable but it would it's the it's the it's, desire it's to the, control everything, right? And, and also the I mean? potential of running into, you know, entities. Oh and yeah, exactly. Whatnot, yeah, you probably you don't want to run into. Exactly, and that happens all the time. They, I've been, I was reading on some new age stuff, just just re- doing some research, and they tell you. They'll say, you know, okay, so here's how you're going to lucid dream, and then if you want, you can move into astral projection. But blah blah blah. But there's a chance you're going to run into dark beings or mean spirits they tell you this yeah they say and if this if you do you know and and some some guys will be like you know only try to do this if you're spiritually mature and because you'll run into darker beings and with bad energy and you need to be able to blah 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 and then you know it's a warning from the people who are getting wanting you to do it more. Right. And and I mean, we've talked about my experiences. We've talked to Rob Skiba about it. And so yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a a huge facet to this whole conversation now that we start branching out like that. Well, and of course, biblically speaking, the, the Satan appears in the angel of light 
And so it's no surprise that his angels appear as uh, ministers of righteousness. And I've talked to people who have been really deep into sort of lucid dreaming and, and astral projection and stuff like that. And um, <laughs> they didn't think it was a bad thing. And, right. and I, I recall, I can't remember who told me this, but they, they had a friend or something that came across just this beautiful spiritual entity. Like it was like the most amazing looking, just, you know, very colorful and whatnot. But, yeah. but the, the guy just felt like it was wrong. Like something was right. wrong, you know? Right. And then yeah, so no, he I've, stopped I've, and I've, ran and, and he, he never, uh, you know, he decided to stop doing all that stuff. But I mean, I don't think people realize how real it is. You know, it's not, it's not just like, Oh yeah, it's just sort of a, your imagination and blah, blah, blah. Right. No, I think, I think it's real, you know? Right. And well, and there's even things I've, I've seen little gadgets, you know, just on little gadget websites. I kind of cruise around those once in a while. And, uh, there's these goggles that you can wear and you wear them on your face when you go to bed. And then like, I can't remember, like an hour in or something, you know, it's timed with whatever the sleep patterns are, right. the REM sleep and everything like that. It's timed. And, and then it starts blinking in your face. Like the goggles awesome. are blinking right in your face. And that's supposed to like induce a lucid dream or sort of, uh, you know, signal to your mind that it's time to start, um, you know, doing stuff. Dang time, it, time to start that, waking up the cricket is what it is. The dang cricket's back. <laughs> cool. The cricket again? <laughs> Jeez. She's back. The revenge um, of the cricket. I know. He, I guess he he's tired of the molasses pool. Yeah. I put well, out. well, you know, I, it just reminded me as we were talking about this, and we're sort of we're sort of going down a rabbit trail of different things here. But no, I think this is awesome. Though. <laughs> um. You know, Dr. Future has talked about the pineal gland, and right. I, I had heard prior to Dr. Future talking about it, I have heard, or I had heard David Wilcock do a full, like, new age angle expose on the on the uh, uh, the pineal gland. And, and The entire new age thing is based around the pineal gland, yeah, basically. Yeah, and there, there is some really strange stuff going on with, like, you know, the Pope holding a staff with the pine cone on it, the giant pine cone right. in, the, in the middle of the Vatican. And I mean, there, there's some obvious references to the pine cone and it's like, Oh, what's going on with that? You know? Right. Um, and you know, Dr. Future hypothesizes or theorizes, I guess that, you know, when we were kicked out of the garden, there was some sort of, um, you know, closing off to uh, the spiritual world, and perhaps the pineal right. gland was sort of that that gateway right. where we were able to access the spiritual world uh, into the physical. And then, you know, that makes sense in terms of um, dreams. Well, isn't, and, isn't the pineal gland uh, calcified over or well, something well, like yeah, that? Well, yeah, yeah. What happens is, um, okay, so, so this is sort of the new age view of it, is that you know, the, the, the new world order and the Illuminati and stuff, they don't want us to reconnect with the spiritual world. So that's why they're giving us all these GMOs and all this, you know, food that, um, is really bad for our bodies because it calcifies the pineal gland and, um, closes off even more our, you know, our ability to access the spiritual realm or whatever that that's sort of their right. take on, you know, why the Illuminati are bad and why. Right. And I, I think that makes sense. That that yeah, might be a reality. I'm possible, open yeah. to that being a reality. Well, like I said, the physical and the spiritual are very tightly knit in my opinion. And I could totally see that being a thing. I've even heard that the casting from the garden 
it can be interpreted as the closing off of the pineal gland. Well, that's and that's what things I was like that. That's what I was saying. Right. That's what Doctor Future was saying too. And, right. And, right. And and you know the uh, there's a couple different ways to think about it though because on one hand, yeah, maybe you know maybe the elite want to close off our access to the spiritual realm and they want it all for themselves. But on the other end, when you look at you know the Book of Revelation, there's some pretty crazy stuff that happens. And um, it does seem like the sort of spiritual world and the veil between the two gets really, really thin, you know, right. and, there's, and, and sort of, you know, different gateways open up and stuff like that. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is this um, push to open it up in a certain way, you know, open up only a certain element of it to allow certain entities through or something, you, you know? Yeah, like, I, I mean, don't it exactly. totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I could totally see that being something. I mean, there's no, I I have not personally seen any evidence for it. I haven't done the research. I, I that's not my area. Right. Um, well, okay. So this is the verse that uh, that Doctor Future looks at to to sort of get into this. And you know, we're yeah, gonna, we, we should we need to have Doctor Future on soon, and we we will. Um, okay. okay. So in the light of the, a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Uh, this is Revelation 18.23, and the word sorcery is the word pharmakia, uh, and it's medicine, wow. drugs, spells, things wow. like that. So, wow. you know, I mean, what yeah. could be that that there you uh, go. these merchants and stuff, and, and, you know, and when I read, when I heard Dr. Future say this, I was really intrigued, and I sort of did my own digging on, um, you know, the, the pharmaceutical company. And there's some good videos out there that sort oh. of sh- expose uh, the pharmaceutical company oh, and how horrible yeah, it is. I mean, it's completely uh, common knowledge that pharmaceutical companies are evil and and for so many reasons. Right. But what I think is interesting is the transhumanist push for drugs, like right. things like SSRIs and, you know, and, and we have something here. That's a that good segue there. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have this thing here talking about the push to make SSRIs and things like that. SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, right. which is um, an antidepressant type thing. Right. And uh, they're trying to, they would like it to be more widely available, not necessarily just for, you know, clinically depressed people or things like that. Right. And, and the, there's this article referring, it's not really an article. It's actually sort of a, it looks like a forum or a conversation or something that happened. Uh, I guess, no, it's a, it's a Facebook thread that happened um, on, uh, and the name of it is abolishing suffering via bioengineering and drugs. Would this cripple social activism and art? And um, this, uh, you know, there's various people that are commenting and this one particular comment um, is sort of what caught our attention. And uh, this person says, should we have policies that make SSRI medicine more widely available? I myself am not sure what the right answer would be, but yesterday I gave some thought for it. For it, Here is the argument for it. If the human brain reacts to its environment, and if the modern way of life, uh, you know, urban living and working, raises the risk for depression and mood shifts, then should it not be good if we could medicate the masses? There are two oh, yeah. alternative. Either we there are two alternatives. Either we create a sporty, feel-good society, cultural change, or we create an easy access to mood medicine, medical change. The first takes long, uh, long time. The latter works faster. Also, people who use SSRI medicine tend to be on the 
on a better mood and therefore they could be interested in making a social change for a happier and better society. Oh my goodness. It's just such a circular argument. I mean, it's that it's just a disaster thinking about this and reading this guy's thing is just unbelievable to me. I mean, I, am I the only one who sees how ridiculous that is? Well, no, I, it's totally ridiculous because the two alternatives that this person proposes is either we culturally change it and we take SSRIs altogether, or we medically influence it and everyone get, takes SSRIs. Ultimately, we want everyone to be happy, happy, you know, right? joy, joy. Well, I mean, and it's just, and the Eastern worldview is very good at this, which is work, do the work to make a happy society. Like, this is... Like, I mean, this is just simple, ancient, uh, you know, wisdom stuff. Wisdom. Yeah, exactly. You, you do the work and in doing the work to make a happy society, you make everybody happy. You, you don't make a terrible society and then drug everybody into being happy. I mean, it's just completely <laughs> backwards thinking. And, and like I, I, I said this at the very beginning of Canary Cry Radio many episodes ago. I mentioned that I think we're moving towards a Huxleyan society. Aldous Huxley in the Brave New World where everybody's drugged up and and having orgies and doing things like this instead of a and that's and that's the form of control is right. give ev- everybody everything they want and they'll be, you know, easier to control. Uh you know, it, it as opposed to an Orwellian society where it's just very, um, yeah, you know, yeah, it's fear, fear driven. Yeah. Fear uh, driven. There's a, there's a great quote by a guy named Neil Postman. I may have quoted this before on the show. I don't remember, but it's from a book called amusing ourselves to death, public discourse in the age of show business. And in this introduction, he sort of, uh, compares Orwell and Huxley. And I, I think, I just think it's a great quote. Uh, he says what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Yep. Orwell exactly. feared. Uh, this is it's kind of a long. Sorry. No, keep going. I'm just. I'm just. Yeah. Yeah, bro. <laughs> Orwell Great. feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. That's so true today. Uh, Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumble puppy. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists, rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, Huxley added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. This book is about the possibility that Huxley, not Orwell, was right. Right. No, and that's precisely correct. But now that I actually think about it, I do want to revise what I'm saying. I do believe that they are both happening at the exact same time. And I think that's the brilliance of the whole plan. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, yeah. we, we obviously live in this Huxleyanian culture where, you know, I mean, the, all sorts of pleasures are, are pushed upon us now. But at the same time, 
this sort of Orwellian lockdown is happening behind the scenes. Well, I, I think it seems like, yeah, you're right, both is happening. It seems like more in the medical, technological, scientific realm, it's more of a Hux, Huxley view, you know, Brave New World-ish view of like, oh, we're going to, you know, save the world by, you know, inducing drugs and everyone's just going to be happy and we're going to enhance the brain and we're not going to feel any more pain. You know, it's, right. it's a sort of like you know, pushing pleasure to bring about this happy, peaceful world. Whereas the sort of government, political, economic, um, that side of things is sort of pushing fear. Like, oh, you know, the economy is going to crash and, you know, right. we're going to take over and, and martial law and like all this stuff. And it's sort of fear driven, you know. Well, it's so, almost like the fear driven part pushes you into the pleasure uh, seeking. Yeah. It, well, I think they play off each other, certainly. And, and right. they definitely gain ground from each other, you know? Uh, And, and I think also that someone who may be disenchanted with sort of the government and all that stuff will turn to science and say, science is the way. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people who are scientists and they're, they're technologists and futurists and things like things like that, that believe and they put their faith totally in science, in technology, in, in, in this, um, you know, advancement of, of, uh, enhancing humans and all this stuff. It's, it's just interesting as, you know, a believer in, in the Bible and a believer in God to look at it and say, you know, you guys are putting your faith in that. And, and you know, and then the right. government people or political, whatever, they're putting their faith in themselves as like the, the ones that are going to solve the issue. And, and, and it's just, it's very strange because they it's don't really, depressing. yeah, they don't really see it. You know, they don't recognize like, uh, for example, one of the guys, the guy who started this article here, um, Hank Pellissier or something. I think I mentioned this before too, but I, I wrote an article kind of systematically tearing apart his view of like why we should enhance our brain and like change parts of our brain so we don't feel any more emotional pain and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he sort of responded and said, you know, I don't believe in God, so therefore I believe that we must improve the brain. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so strange how it was it's just hard to so, argue with that. Really? Well, that's, I know, but it was just very strange how it was so, uh, you know, just not having a belief in God, just that alone causes one to have such a different view of reality of the world and place their faith in something that is so finite. You know, it's, it's just really strange to me that right. you would ever want to place your right, faith. Well, you know, humans don't just... have that great of a track record on their own, you know, so. Yeah, and I mean, that's just the small world that some people live in. I mean, the the universe and the world and just everything is just so tiny to some people that putting their faith in something like that is like, you know, is the saving, um, you know, grace that they're looking for. When in reality, especially these guys who are so... It's it's almost ironic how much knowledge they have of the universe and how astounded they are by it and how... Uh, the the greatness that they grasp in the the way the quantum physics and the awe and the splendor that is reality and existence and then they they will put all of that and the the um, improvement of all of it just into their own hands and it's just very small minded I believe right. I mean I mean I get I get it I get the um, the desire to work, you know, and the desire to improve things. Right. Um, but it's, it's just very ironic in, in, in how I look at it. Yeah. And sort of, um, continuing on with this, this thread of conversations that happened here, 
uh, one of the topics that came up was art and um, I think we should touch on it. I think it's interesting that somebody mentioned that um, uh, good art has to come from pain, you know, and it's sort of interesting because I personally, that was sort of a crisis for me when I uh, became born again, if you will. Right. Uh, you know, right. I wouldn't necessarily use that phrase, I guess, with Johnny Iron, but after the whole Johnny, yeah. Iron thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to use it anyway because I still sure. think it's a valid okay. sort of statement. But yeah, once once I became a believer and I, I declared my faith in Yeshua and everything else, I had a real struggle. One of the first things that I struggled with was, well, what do I do with with you know? Because my identity was. I'm a songwriter and, and right. I, I am a musician and you know, that's, that's where I gain my identity and my purpose. And, yeah. um, and I write about the pain that I have, that I feel I write about, you know, my music is an, a channel for my, my anger and my hate for the world and all, you know, all this stuff. So it was right. like all this negative stuff. And then as soon as I became a believer, all those things were lifted, you know, I mean, there was, there were obviously some uh, residual effects and stuff like that that lasted a few years and still right. dealing with some of that stuff, obviously, that yeah, I think yeah. we all do. But in overall sort of sense, uh, I really had a hard time because I was sitting there going, well, what do I do? I don't feel like writing angry music anymore. Um, right. Well, I, you know, I would personally disagree with um, that statement that all good art comes out of pain and suffering. Right. Um, I will s- I believe that art connects with um, people in different ways. You right. know, if if somebody creates something out of anguish, it'll connect and you know, uh, sort of instill that or communicate that anguish to whoever the observer will be. Right. And I do believe that, but that can also happen in all sorts of ways. Right. You know, yeah, it's obvious, art, it obviously it obviously can happen positively. Of, Go ahead. Sorry. Right. And at the same time, you know, I've heard that like, oh, if I go on medication, I'll lose my artistic ability and and uh, I will, you know, whatever. Right. But at the same time, if you look at the facts and what a lot of, you know, the argument against that would be, well, you know, if you're happy, you're going to, you know, you're going to be more productive in general. Right. Well, you yeah, and, and I think obviously, you know, music sort of shapes your mood anyway. So like if you're feeling sad and angry, you want to hear something sad or whatever. If you want right. to, if you're feeling pretty good, you want to hear good, you know, music that's sort of uplifting and, and whatnot. And, um, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny because I think the mindset of like, Oh, you know, good music is neg- you know, comes from a negative, you know, emotional place or whatever. It's sort of, um, obviously it's preference for one thing, but I think music has always been sort of a social commentary of the times yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it just reflects what society is going through. And if the so- society is going through some negative points uh, and the music reflects that, and it's, it's it, like you said, it just connects to the people. And if it so happens that a lot of people are, you know, feeling, ang- it's kind of like the, if you think about, you know, the Northwest and the grunge scene, you know, there are right. like all these people that were rebelling and, and they, they had this rebellious nature and then, you know, Nirvana comes out and it's like the, they, they become the voice of that rebellion, you know? Yeah. So it's sort of a, again, I think it's a social commentary more than necessarily a, a one-to-one ratio of, you know, pain equals good music or anything like that. So, um, but anyway, going back to sort of the drugs and, and, uh, and, and, and all this stuff, Okay, so this person named Mike uh, replies to a bunch of these comments and asks asks a couple different questions. Uh, he says, "Why do you need art 
when you are perpetually happy and super genius. Genetically altering the outlook is, is a tricky thing, but when death has been transcended, what has anyone to worry about? And that mindset sort of is really telling. Again, it's, it plays on the whole thing of what they're trying to do. They're trying to transcend death. They're trying to uh, bring about this perpetually happy world uh, where everyone's sort of happy. But right. I, I, you know, the, at the core here, what, what is it that drives humanity to want that in the first place? You know? And it's, it's just ironic that what we're promised through the scriptures and everything else is that sort of eternal joy and being with the creator and, right. you know, it's the same thing. It's just very well, strange how I, it's the same sort of thing. I mean, I've said this so many times and I'm sure everybody's going to just be so tired of hearing it, which is, I get it. Like wanting everybody to be happy is not a bad thing. Right. You know, have, wanting happiness to spread around the world is a good thing. But I mean, that's just the basis of where the, uh, of where the deception starts where and and going back to sort of the eastern worldview thing where you know happiness is not the goal it's the journey you know stuff right, like that right. where i mean th- they had a few things figured out that we here in the west admittedly do not have under control and um but i mean just this push for the widespread use of pharmaceuticals in a legal sense um it's just pushing the line. I think we can all agree with that. Or maybe not. If you don't agree, let us know. I yeah. mean, I, I personally don't think that, you know, uh, and, it, you know, it actually makes me wonder um, if there was anything of this nature going on in Babylon or by Nimrod or anything. I, I don't have any research but it, it just sort of came to me but it would be interesting to find somebody or to do a study on you know ancient uses of drugs or i know there's all sorts of ceremonial stuff but right. i mean was there something like that that could have been a part of uh you know a well you know I, I, dystopian ancient society i think it's it's interesting to note that this um this you know, whole thing of happiness and drugs and all this and referring to what you said, I, I'm not exactly sure if, um, Nimrod had some sort of drug thing <laughs> to right. the masses to try to, you know, keep everyone happy. But, uh, a lot of cults and especially, uh, you know, I'm going to butcher this. Someone, someone's going to fix, you know, someone's going to go crazy about misquoting the name. And I, I actually don't know the name of, of the person, but I do know, uh, that there is this, uh, Islamic, and I don't have this information in front of me. I'm just trying to go off the top of my head. The uh, there's, uh, uh, I think it was like a Muslim faction or something like that, where the way he convinced his people or the people that uh, you know they're going to go to heaven and they're going to you know enjoy life or whatever if they follow him and, and he's like the Messiah of, of some you know whatever was that he would invite all these people in. And this is sort of a cult, uh, a cult tactic as well. They would invite right. people into a room or whatever, and he would um, he would give him a big meal, and the meal would just be completely uh, spiked with like hash, you know. So, okay. So they get completely, you know, high, and they're totally just their brains are blown out. Well, in that process, while they're totally blitzed, uh, he takes all of them into this garden, this beautiful garden in the center of his palace or whatever. Right. And, and all these like, you know, women come out and they do things and, you know, they just, 
it, they give them this sort of crazy euphoric experience. And then as they come down, the, the leader guy, he says, hey, look, you guys have just experienced heaven. This is what you can have for eternity if you follow, wow. me, if you follow me. And it's wow. that sort of um, idea of inducing pleasure to create followers and devoted right. followers, you know? Right. Um, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and that, that, that sort of, uh, I guess, a microcosm well, of... Just another, you know, control mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I would say it, 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 there's different kinds of ways that you can rely on your leaders. But, uh, you know, I think, I think in some sense, Nimrod, because he was sort of a mighty hunter, you know, I think it's quite possible that he was just a really awesome dude or whatever. Like he, he Oh, was, I'm sure. He was just like I'm, gnarly. I'm sure that like, wasn't the cause for his right. um, gaining control. But I mean, you just, with all the sorts of things, even if we go back, you know, into the antediluvian civilizations, who knows, that might've been a, a whole nother situation. Right. But this whole thing with the SSRIs in particular um, reminds me of another movie, Equilibrium, which was a good movie. That was a good movie. Um, Christian Bale. Yeah. Go check it out. Uh, where, you know, everybody on a daily basis was required to inject this drug, right. and which was used for control and sort of numbed them to, you know, any, any sorts of emotions. And, and so when you start hearing about, you know, Okay. Every citizen gets issued, you know, your ration of, uh, you know, antidepressive medicine. Here you go. You know, it, it just reeks of stay happy so we can do what we want to do. You know, it's just right. a, 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 just another control well, it's, mechanism. It sort, of, it sort of makes sense from the, the mind of the one who's trying to control, you know? Because it's like, as long as you're happy, I mean... Right. Well, exactly. You know, it's like, wh who cares? Like, you're happy. Like, you're That's the whole debate about the whole thing is yeah. like, well, if you're happy, I mean, you're happy. Welcome to being a human being and happy. I mean, what else could you ask for? Right. Really? Exactly. You know, if you're happy, you're happy. You don't want other things. You're not questioning authority. You're not doing anything. And I think that is a legitimate debate to have. I mean, I we could stand up on our soapboxes and say, and and say, you know, like. This isn't real happiness. Da, 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 da. You know, I think we can do that. I think that would be the automatic response for most of us. You know, um, but instead of, and this is what I love to do, instead of um, automatically taking that position, which more than likely is the right position. I mean, let's open up and let's let's think about that. You know, I think that's a good thing to address. Right. Well. Uh, anybody it, listening who might think that, hey, if you're all happy, then we're happy. That's the bait. That's what else could you ask for in the human existence? Right. Well, I, I actually, I tend to believe that that is the crux of the great deception. Uh, however, it may turn out, if it's aliens or if it's you know ancient civilizations discovered or whatever it may be, that is the the hinge upon which this new new world order. Uh, is going to be established this this world kingdom type thing, right. um, technologically or however it's going to be predicated on the fact that hey now we can be happy, all right. of us can be happy. What's wrong with that? And you know obviously the Christians are going to be the only be the only ones saying it's a lie, and and obviously right. that we are going to be the ones holding back progress and and so on. So I mean we're so traditional, <laughs> we're so boring. 
You guys are hypocrites. You guys are on the computer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the internet's technology. Um, but I, I mean, uh, and that was a big thing with Obama was, you know, a huge selling point. And if you ask me, one of the main reasons why he got elected was because he promised. I mean, he made a lot of promises, but one of his promises was to, you know, decriminalize, uh, uh, legalize marijuana. I mean, that was yeah. a huge, huge amount of his votes. Being yeah. a young, being a young person, I, you know, I just know that is a fact. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. No, I know, and and well, that's funny too because we'll just alluding to Obama just a bit here, but he he promised a lot of. Ch- I mean, every every uh, uh, candidate for presidency promises change. You know, it's sort of a hook word or whatever. Yes. But I think I think most of the population, and we'll get into this probably maybe in another show before the elections or something. But most of the population doesn't really know what they want changed. Like right. there's no consensus on one on what needs to be changed or whatever. They're just like, Oh yeah, change hope. Yes. Hope. We need hope. A hope in what, you know, change in what, like, right. what are you guys talking about? You know, right. but anyway, that's, exactly. that's a whole nother rabbit. Trail. Yeah. We won't no, I mean, right now, but I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but exactly. Um, and I think, I think it will happen. I honestly think that will happen at one point or another. Um, if not for it, have being prophesied to, you know, it's just the way that things are going. Right. There's a core human issue as well, where, you know, abolishing suffering via bioengineering and drugs, abolishing suffering again, like you said, you know, and most people probably agree is, is a good thing. We want to abolish suffering. Um, but, but my, again, one of my, I guess, points of asking the question to these folks would be, well, what is it about suffering that you want to like abolish? What, what is it about evil or suffering or whatever you want to call it? What is it about it that you don't like, you know, you know what I mean? Because I'm, right. I think that might, I don't know, maybe it won't, but it should at least stir in your mind uh, where they are getting that objective line of reference of what, what is being violated here? Like right. what, what is it that is actually being violated? And if you're saying that, it's sort of a relative thing like, oh, you know, bad is bad and it might be bad for you, but it's good for me. Well, then it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks. But if you're saying that there is sort of a, a clear understanding, an external point of reference of a moral basis of which we, you know, declare as suffering, then you're starting to suggest that there's some sort of external Wow. Right. You know, no, yeah, absolutely. Law that's I mean, that's, imposing. that's C.S. Lewis's uh, famous it, you it's know, the moral, argument. It's the moral argument, yeah. By right, Lewis, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so what do you think, Basil? Do you think this stuff um, is going to be used for mind control? Like, do you think drugs already is used for mind control? Like, even I think, recreational drugs is used for mind you know, control? You I, know, I, I think so. I mean, maybe not mind control in the sense that, you know there's some DARPA station out there, uh, you know, attempting to mind control us with drugs, but I mean, really mind control is a pretty loose term. Right. And we would have to define it in different ways, but you know, I don't think, well, I mean, there's, Oh my goodness, but there's, okay. Okay. Yes. I think so. I think in a lot of ways, yes, but it's in more of a culturally, a, a cultural influence right. type of way. You know, the CIA um, passing out, you know, crack and LSD and things like this, which right. is pretty, you know, this is 
this is just common knowledge now where and and the and the US being deeply enrooted in the drug trade and right. you know f- things like this totally. i mean it's obvious that that is what they want to happen and i think in that sense where it is a cultural manipulation yeah. i do believe that yes that is a a well, a form of mind here control. here's what's so funny i think so let's take marijuana for example totally let's illegal take it. right it, let's take it. <laughs> Just um, okay, okay, so uh, legal. It's totally illegal, right? But then uh, you have then you have you know big time entertainment like corporate entertainment media uh, right, heads right. or whatever promoting through you know musicians and rappers or whatever like yeah, let's get high and bongs and all this stuff and it's like <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that kind of like right. I, I always thought it was weird that see that's kind of what I was thinking too is I don't know if it's necessarily the executives making right, that right, decision. Right. You know, I think the freedom is given um, to display that sort of thing, but that's see where I, I I see it as more of a cultural thing than a than a corporate thing. Um, or, or just the individual thing. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I, um, I did a little study on, uh, prison systems and stuff in America and in, in other countries. Um, and uh, this is a while ago, but I found out that a lot of these really big drug Lords right. that go to jail, they figure out a way to operate their whole cartel oh, yeah. from the prison system, Completely, yeah. which is really funny because it's like, what's the point of having a prison if they're totally controlling everything from the inside anyway? And, I mean, you know, I went through all the different ways they do it and they've tried to crack down on all the simple ways Like they used to put, uh, you know, even stuff in Bibles, you know, where they would cut out a little section of the book and they would put little messages in there and, and there was different ways they would crypt letters and things like that every fourth letter. And then it creates a whole nother, uh, message and, you know, they had all sorts of stuff, but, um, yeah, not only is it culturally integrated, but it is sort of perpetuated by the authorities in a in a way that if they really wanted to crack down on the drug war or the war on drugs or whatever, they probably could have done it already. But the fact well, that yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that just brings up the whole joke that is the the drug war, right? And how much it is strictly. It, oh my goodness! It's just the whole thing again of the duality and creating enemies out of nothing, right? Um, you know, I mean, uh, whether drug whether drugs are or are not objectively bad, the war on drugs is not a war on drugs. I mean, the same government who is perpetuating this war on drugs is the same government who is daily um, smuggling drugs into the country <laughs> and yeah. and and creating drugs and giving them out and not on top of yeah. Uh, you know, I know, I know, you know, man, I know, you man. Know. You don't even, you can't even put it into words because I know so much, man. It's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. It's, it's. Uh, it, it's I mean, I guess, I guess the point is that we're here already. It's here already. It's already happening in. It's just in a different form than we expect it to, and that's that's the whole beauty of the whole plan. Right. But do I think that? The I mean, fifty uh, percent of the country is already taking right uh, 
antidepressants or some yeah. uh, medication in general. Yeah, and okay. you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just going to, yeah, it's already 50%. So what's the harm? I could see that as just a speech. Just what's the harm in just putting the other 50% on the stuff <laughs> and just making everybody happy? Right. And you know, it's interesting that the, that was a point I was going to bring up when, um, you know, after reading Revelation 18.23 about the, the merchants of the world being uh, deceived by pharmacia. Yeah. And, and, and if you really think about um, the merchants, you, you think about the wealthy and you think about sort of the, the culture of the ultra wealthy, rich folks, you know, and not, not everybody, but, but there is sort of a culture of like, you know, we do drugs and we do, you know, we just drink and party. And, and that's sort of part of the, the culture of the rich, famous sort of world, you know? Yes. And, and I think that is sort of a, a, a purposeful thing. You know, I I, I know that you always hear, uh, for example, um, I used to work at this, uh, this building. Um, The owner of the building was an owner of an NHL hockey team and um, very, very, very wealthy, very uh, well-known in the community and whatnot. And, um, you know, he was, uh, he was exposed for different, different things. And one of the things he was exposed for was uh, smuggling drugs from other countries Mm-hmm. And and it was sort of a shock to the community of like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe this guy would be doing this and da 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 da. da. But it went away so quickly, you know. Oh, yeah. It was like it was the story broke, and then you know, I remember like pointing it out, like, yo, the guy who uh, the guy who runs this building is smuggling cocaine or something from other countries, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, but it wasn't really him; it was like his partner or something. And just the right. story just died, right. and you know, I my conspiracy brain was going crazy sitting there going, man, who did he pay off? Who did he, right. you know? Cause oh, yeah, yeah exactly. it was just like, wow. You know, and the power of money, you know? Um, right. but yeah, just tying in this whole thing of sorcery and, and the, yeah. The and it, it, it goes in with the, um, you know, the, the counterfeit experience that right. is also, you know, another, um, aspect of the malevolence that is, um, that is that. And so, yeah. And, and so that's just an obvious, um, direction to take that debate. And I don't think it is, it's not even a debate, but it's, it's the counterfeit and, and spreading the counterfeit, um, beyond, uh, you know, simply those who need it or those who use it recreationally. Now just everybody just jump on the bandwagon and let's, let's make this, uh, society a happy one yeah well you know it's it's like when uh, mdma ecstasy came right. out and it was really popular and right. uh you know i had i had a lot of friends that were really into it and stuff and going uh-huh. to raves and i mean it was a whole culture that was built on feel-good drugs you know right right yeah and it's um i even posted in the forum the electronic awakening right it talks about the rave culture and the especially the use of drugs and and you know just the whole dance floor religious experience yeah yeah and you know i i i you know again i had a lot of friends that were into that and you know it's it's always strange because you know we in in our community here there's sort of a dark side <laughs> and um there was at one point when i was in high school there was a a, a gal who like overdosed on ecstasy and and passed away and whatnot and it was really strange because to like, you know, I just hearing about the people that were her friends and stuff like that. Um, the way they celebrated her life was just doing drugs and going 
to the Raven. I mean, it was right. just like, what, right. what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, I remember thinking yeah. even at the time, like, why would you celebrate the life of someone by doing the thing that killed her? You know, I, I don't know. It was right. just very, very bizarre. But anyway, um, yeah. it just shows the amount of, uh, the, just the lack of true source of love and, and, and grace and all those things that God provides, you know, when it's not there, you, uh, people just tend to look for it wherever they can find it. And it's usually not in uh it's usually not good for you, <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's just the way things are. And I think you alluded to this in the past, but you know, God, God is not like this cosmic police officer, you know, like right. waiting for us to break a commandment so he can, you know, send us to hell and all this stuff. It's more of like, right. you know, these things are there as boundaries because they're good for you. You know, it's not, right. it's not because we're trying to, you know, God's trying to kill our party or whatever, but, um, right. Buzzkill. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. All right. So there you have it. Crack is whack. Thanks again for tuning in this week to Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in again in a couple of days. We'll have another great conversation for you. And as always, think outside the cage. Later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on StumbleUpon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting CanaryCryRadio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage.